Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. We are coming to you from the Driven Radio Studios in wonderful and awfully temperate the last couple of days. Yeah. Don't jinx it. Don't uh, yeah, jinx it. It's nah, been you know, sweet. It's, it's going to go to hell tomorrow. You know it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. But uh, we got a couple of really nice days out of it. Yeah, we had the windows open. Oh, yeah. I mean, like all day and all night. It got down to 62 last night. I know. Oh, Sexy. my God. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah. Here in Georgia, we haven't seen 62 in six months. It's 98 degrees yeah. and 100% humidity for four months out of the year down here. It's like <laughs> being in somebody's mouth. You're not going to see it again until <laughs> after Thanksgiving. Uh, before we get started, I want to make sure and wish the very best of luck to the McPherson College Auto Restoration yeah. Program and the Mercedes 300S. They've got at Pebble Beach this coming week. Monterey Car Week's going on. Damn, I wish I could be there, but knees are shot. Got to get them replaced. Anyway, they're going to show this thing at Pebble. I wish them the best of luck. I hope they bring home something. Everybody has worked so hard on that car, and it's just gorgeous. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the hard work and efforts that Amanda Gutierrez and Brian Martin have both put into getting this car to Pebble. Congratulations to everybody. You've done a remarkable job. Amen. Amen. Our special guest this week, you've already heard from him, is artist and car <laughs> maven Christopher Michaels. When Christopher was just 10 years old, he wrote and illustrated a book that netted him enough cash to buy an old farm truck and a dirt bike, thus establishing his love of speed. As an art student at the University of Georgia, Christopher graduated with a degree in computer animation focusing on automotive and motorcycle design. He has been a movie special effects specialist, a self-taught mechanic, custom motorcycle builder and racer, a repeat coast-to-coast racer, having most recently competed in the Musket Ball Half-Baked Sea to Shining Sea Anniversary Trophy Dash put on by our friend John Ficarra. He has driven all over North America, the Caribbean, Europe, Africa, South America, and Asia, crossed the Arctic Circle four times in four different countries, <laughs> having traveled in nearly 60 different countries in 49 states from the southernmost point to the northernmost point, and traveled every ocean on Earth. Christopher is fresh from his appearance on Hot Wheels Ultimate Challenge on NBC. Christopher, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time last time. I was so excited when you invited me back. We love having you on here. You make the job easy. <laughs> we met after I saw you on Ed Bullion's VinWiki channel on YouTube, where you continue to tell some of the most interesting and outlandish stories. How did you meet Ed? And can you talk about your friendship with the world's most interesting Lamborghini monger? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, ever since I could hold a Hot Wheels car in my hand, I have been an absolute speed fiend. I've loved anything about cars, racing cars, building cars, whatever. And, uh, you know, years and years went by. And after, you know, building them, racing them, owned a little company, uh, building overland trucks, all this kind of stuff. You know, I started doing this endurance driving and I was driving, you know, the coastline of North America, coast to coast, all this kind of stuff. Cause I love these movies like Smoking the Bandit and Cannonball Run. Yeah. And lo and behold, I found this YouTube channel called VinWiki that's got like these real guys who've actually done this stuff. And I was just fascinated with it. You know, and it was, 
Ed and, you know, Ben, Charlie Safari Wilson and John Fakara and these guys. And these dudes are like my heroes, you know, and, you know, Travis Bell and all these guys. And I would just watch them every week and I would just think, man, what a cool thing. You know, that's, you know, Cannonball and, and not just Cannonball, but, you know, the other Transcon races, you know, the Southern Classic, Alabama Hammer, U.S. Express, all these different races. You know, it's kind of a secret society type of thing, you know, because you, you can't just put it out there for people to sign up because you get morons on there or people that don't know how to drive or somebody that's not been vetted and hear about these things after they happen. But it was just this mystery almost, you know, and I just wasn't quite sure how to access it. And I wanted to do it so badly, as did millions of other people out there, I'm sure. But uh, but yeah, so there I am one morning sitting in my truck at this car show. It hadn't quite started yet. It's cold. And I look and Ed Bolian goes walking by. You know, and Ed, of course, is like, you know, the king of Cannonball. You know, he had set a record. Uh, he had, you know, written a book. He had sort of turned Cannonball into a brand. And he was just, you know, so he'd become this sort of almost like the custodian of the Cannonball. And there he was walking right by my truck. So, you know, I've never really fanboyed on anybody. I've met tons of famous people. And I'm just sort of like, you know, hey, what's going on? But this was like, this was the guy, like the guy that put on this channel that knows all these people. So I, I hopped out of truck and, I, and unusual for me, I ran up and kind of, I was like, hey, man, you know, I, I really enjoy your channel. I enjoy the content you're making. You know, thank you so much for putting it on. I, I just I really enjoy watching it. He's like, well, you know, thank you very much. And, you know, he's got that great deep voice. Yes, you very much. And, uh, and, you know, I'm standing there in front of the truck, which, of course, is, you know, a little interesting looking. And he's like, well, you know, tell me about your truck. And I said, well, you know, I, you know, DEA auction, I bought it from there. I, it was all stealthed out, had all this smuggler stuff on it. Somebody had been murdered in the front seat. I've since turned it into this. <laughs> overland truck but you know it's still got the blood stains in the carpet if you want to see them and so he checked him out and he was like you know it's pretty interesting you know would you like to come on the channel and tell the story and i mean this is like you know imagine you're at a concert and like you're watching like van halen and eddie van halen's like hey get up on stage come play with us so i was like <laughs> hell yeah i want to and, you know so I, it turned out he lived here in atlanta so i went out to his house one day at his studio and I really didn't have a, a real story for the the truck itself because I was just, I'd never been on YouTube before. I was just kind of like, well, you know, can I like warm up with like another story? And he was like, well, you know, if you got another story, sure. So I told the story about me and some friends of mine driving a truck to that pot farm. And, you know, and I, I told that one, I told a couple of other ones and, you know, he aired them and like, like literally the first comment and, I, and I'm kind of bragging on myself here. I don't mean to, but just cause I was excited. The very first comment to my very first, video was you know this comma boys and girls is how you tell a story and i think people just i i, I was so proud of that and i think people just like the accent i think that you know there's some incredible stories on there about you know lamborghinis and bugattis and all these exotic cars and these guys who were like real sleuths and tracking down these really rare cars and you know they're on a whole different level for me but you know my stories are about you know ford rangers and you know s10 pickup trucks and ford mavericks and just little things like that and I struck a chord with people and I, I just people enjoyed the stories and a few stories in I went and told the truck story and it went on to do I think like almost like three point something million views. Jeez. I think that the three wow. stories I've done on that truck are pushing 10 million. I've got over 33 million views on that channel together and it just I just kind of kept coming back and I think of different stories and you know most of my stories happened 20 30 years ago but I would just keep coming back and telling another story and people liked them. And Ed kept asking me back and over time, you know, we got to be friends, you know, we go to lunch and go hang out and just shoot the breeze. And it turns out he and I had some similar goals about things we want to do in the automotive universe. And we just got to be friends, you know, and being friends with Ed's like being friends with a superhero, you know, like he has <laughs> achieved such dizzying heights in a world that all of us aspire to. And 
you know, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met and he just does cool stuff. And, you know, I've tried to do cool stuff and we just started doing cool stuff together along with much folks, you know, Ben and John and Travis and God, Mark Spam. I mean, there's 30 guys I could name off right now that we all just do fun stuff together. And, and I basically just kind of snuck in the club and got to be in the band. And <laughs> I, I cannot be prouder to be a part of the VinWiki community. I mean, these guys have become my best friends. We reach out to each other when things are going great. We reach out to each other when things are going bad. We support each other. You know, it, it's just incredible. You know, people who I used to be fans of these guys, like now they're in my phone and like they call me, hey, man, how you doing? What's going on? Like it's it's a dream come true. And it's brought so many exciting things into my life. Uh, the musket ball you mentioned earlier, that was actually several years ago. I've done a bunch of races before in since, and that's opened up a whole community of people. Uh, most, I think almost all of my art clients come from Ben Wiki. You know, they see me on there. That's where my sculpture commissions come from. I do a lot of logos and illustrations to kind of commemorate different people's cannonball runs. I make trophies for the events. It's kind of become my job in a way is sort of the I guess the artist laureate for the cannibal community, but man, it's just changed my life for the better. And I've gotten to do so many cool things. I get on this show right now. I mean, I would not be talking oh. to you guys here if I hadn't been on that channel. And it was just one of those lightning strike moments and it could have been a lot of dudes, but it just happened to be me. And, and I'm thankful for that every day. You know, it is a cool community and I've gotten to know a lot of those guys because of the show, but also mostly through Ed and through you and, uh, through Travis Bell, and it is uh, a great group of guys. And I got to talk to several of you guys today, and it just made the best day. It was the best stinking day because I got to talk to everybody. You know, when it comes to car stuff, you've been there and done that. The last time we had you on, it was just before Christmas 2021, and you talked about uh, why the KKK attacked your car and <laughs> owning your Overlander truck that had been used by Mexican drug cartels. And I'm kind of curious, you know, you and I have, have touched on a few things, but what have you been up to in the last year and change? I keep seeing all the cool stuff you post online. Oh, man. You know, I am the luckiest dude in the world. You know, I don't have a whole lot materially in this world, but I am vastly wealthy with experiences and I just live the most amazing life. And I'm so thankful for that, man. Where do I start? I mean, I've done, I've done several races. I've made some new friends with that. You know, my buddy, Eugene, uh, he and I ran in Southern classic this year. Um, I've ran in the Alabama hammer. I've done, I uh, say I've gone to Alaska, throw cars off of a cliff. Um, I actually missed that this year because my buddy David and Bradley and I took off in a turbo LS swapped. 800 horsepower 1984 suburban with like roll up <laughs> windows no heat no air no radio <laughs> like springs poking through factory seats with blankets on it and a gigantic motor in the front we drove that thing from atlanta to key west florida southernmost point north america turned around and drove it all the way to prudhoe bay the northernmost point north america did an entire lap around alaska literally drove all of the highways you can drive in alaska including out to the westernmost point in anchor point we did some drag racing while we're up there, made friends with some people, uh, hooked up with this dude named Shaggy, Shaggy Moore. Shaggy is a rock star. I mean, when you're talking about people who the moment you meet them, who are instantly friends, Shaggy is the guy who gave me the moonshine there. Shaggy mm -hmm. took us out in his dune buggy, kind of side-by-side -side thing. We went out to a glacier. We climbed out on the glacier. The glacier broke off. We were, like, drifting in the water on ice, <laughs> having to, like, lasso pieces of ice and pull them closer to where we were and jump across them like Mario brothers. We got like 
Bradley and David and guys, I'm sure, like throwing us ropes. And it was just crazy. I mean, we <laughs> went up to the Arctic Circle, up 250 miles north of the Arctic Circle, actually. Drove it all wow. the way back down again, you know, 15,000-mile road trip. Now, how, how did you stay warm while you were up there? there? Yeah, I'm wondering that, uh, too. You know, what did you use as a heater? Oh, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, it got, I mean, it was in the, I don't know, high 30s a few times, but it was 100 in Key West when we got there. And, <laughs> you know, just bundled up. Uh, David actually got us these cool electric vests that are meant for, like, motorcycle riders, and we just wore those. And, uh, you know, honestly, though, like, you know, cannonballing is something that, oh, that's the best way to put it. I mean, it's the best time of your life. But it's also like the best, worst road trip ever. It's kind of like driving those crap junkyard cars from the lower 48 up to Alaska last year with like parts falling off of them. And you can almost put your floor, foot through the floor and touch the road. Tell us about driving well, the craptastic cars to Alaska and throwing them off a cliff. Well, absolutely. And that's very similar to this experience with the Suburban and Cannonball in general. Like you're not necessarily going to be comfortable doing awesome stuff. You know, no. you're going to be cold. You're going to be hot. You're going to be somebody snoring in the car next to you. You're going to be hungry. You're going to break down. We broke down in the suburban at one point, 150 miles from a cell phone signal. Oh. And we are just <laughs> literally stuck out on a dirt road off of the dirt road we were already on. And <clears throat> like, we were like, literally like I pried a board off of a sign and used a tomahawk to make a part for this thing. You know, David is like, completely replumbing the whole turbo system, you know, messing with the engine, trying to get it to run leaner, run cooler. We're like making pieces out of wood. We've got sharpened sticks made out of wood and because like the like bears are around, like roll up on us. You know, some of these things are, you're not going to be comfortable, but like you're never going to remember that stuff. A year later, 10 years later, you don't remember that. You remember you might've been cold, but you don't remember that feeling. Yeah. And yeah. you know, like the craptastic cars, for example, I mean, that was just one of the best times I've ever had. You know, Ben, Charlie Safari Wilson, and John Ficar cooked up this thing called the Carnival of Carnage. Uh, there's the sticker right there. Yeah. And and that was exactly it. You know, we had seen this thing on YouTube where these folks were throwing cars off a cliff on the 4th of July because they were so far north, the sun doesn't set. So fireworks kind of suck. So they just started dragging cars out of their junkyard and spray painting them red, white, and blue. The whole town got at the bottom of this 40-story cliff. Everybody's sitting out in folding chairs couple of dudes up at the top they just brick the accelerator top the steering wheel reach in just neutral drop it in the drive and send it and you know, we saw that oh, that looks fun so you know of course hey let's do it the hard way hey what if we drove cars from down here like driving cars so crappy that they're worth throwing off a cliff over the worst <laughs> most desolate roads in the world i mean it's i've driven all over the world you were hard pressed to get on a public road especially a highway and be as desolate as some of these places are up there. I mean, imagine, imagine where you are and it being 300 miles to the next building. Wow. Oh my God. You know, your cell phone is picking up zero. If you hit seek on the radio, it's like playing roulette without the ball because there is nothing to pick up. (laughs) And, you know, we're just like, you know, a bunch of amateur mechanics. And, you know, of course, you know, I love doing this kind of stuff, but, you know, John and, and Ben just grabbed by the horns and actually organized something. Uh, you know, I was on a team and the last minute our team fell through. I called up Ben and I was like, yo, has anybody got a seat? He's like, we got a seat with us. Come on. Uh, they had found this absolutely decrepit Ford F-150 that was literally holding together with like duct tape and bed liner. And <laughs> Ben, being the most charming person in the universe, had somehow got us sponsored by Spam and the Evil Knievel Museum. And 
you know, they gave us some gas money and some stickers and a bunch of spam to eat, some T-shirts and stickers. And we, went, we all met in Reno. And I had this crazy, like, John Candy, Steve Martin, trains, planes, and automobiles thing, just getting to Reno. That's a different story. We all got there, and we just got a caravan of cars up, and we just piled in and took off. And the Jaguar that John Ficar brought, it broke at the first exit we got to, and then it broke at the next exit we got to. And then at the third exit, we got to, (laughs) you know, Ben, you know, Ben is, Ben can organize a world war. You know, he is a fantastic (laughs) logistical guy. And Ben had worked out like all these hotel stays. He'd worked out little local car shows, radio shows, things were going to pop up on. I mean, he had this whole like press tour thing lined up that was ace, but we missed every single one of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and I will say that Matt Leland did a great job of keeping that car going, but it was just a sinking ship. So needless to say, all those repairs put us behind. So, you know, Ben had already made deposits on these hotel rooms. Well, how are we going to get the deposit back? Well, this is kind of where I come in. Cause you know, I'm, I'm good at talking. So I started calling these hotels up and coming up with these ridiculous stories. Cause nobody really wants to hear Hey, we're a bunch of idiots driving junk cars to Alaska and our car broke down. We can't make it to our hotel reservation. So I would call them up and I would tell them the one that worked the best. I would tell them that we were a gospel band trying to spread the word of the Lord and our bus broke down and we're trying to get it fixed. We're going to get there. But if they'll just move our reservation like three days into the future, then we will be there. And of course, they'd be happy to do it because, you know, now we're, we're already well within our 24 hour. You can't cancel window. So I'd get them to move the reservation three days in the future. Then I'd call them the next day, 48 hours out, then cancel. Oh, well, I, you know, I mean, I had to, cause we were on a thin budget and we all just pitched in. So, so we take off and, and again, it's just breakdown after breakdown and, and mayhem ensues. We meet some incredible people. We get to the Canada line and I am at this point in the Dodge police charger with David Lockhart. And David had, has like a legit Florida tag on the back, but he had bought this thing in Texas and left the Texas tag oh, on the front. No. Canada can be kind of Canadian sometimes. You know, they're a bit, I mean, I love Canada. The country is beautiful. The people are amazing. But from like a bureaucratic standpoint, they're like the Vogons and <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like your paperwork better be correct. You better not have had a DUI. God help if you got a gun or a warrant on you. So, you know, they're very thorough, always polite. But anyway, so we get there and they're curious about that. They want to see the keys to the car. There's a handcuff key still on the car, oh, ca- God, the keychain no. to the car from back when it's police car. They're like, pull it over there. Y'all are getting searched. Oh, so we get on the radio. God. We're like, hey, you know, charger's down. You guys go ahead. Because we're supposed to go to this like lunch thing. There's a little car show and they'd arrange this lunch. We're like, you know, hey, you know, Jaguar, I mean, the charger's down. You guys go ahead. They come back on the radio. Hey, we just hit a speed bump literally on the crossover in Canada and it ripped the exhaust manifold out. Jack's down too. So we're like, okay, truck team, you guys run in there. Like, yeah, we got stuck in traffic over here. We're like, you guys go ahead, you know, go get to go show up at the event. So David and I get questioned. They let us go. Uh, You know, the guys get on the internet and this fan guy shows up, Lewis Thaw. I've never met Lewis in my life, but this dude is like, yo, I love you guys. Come to my house. My car buddies are coming. We got tools. We got a space. Get to my house. Let's make it happen. So we all like go to his house and like Matt becomes like the lead mechanic. Like all of Lewis's like car homies, one of which had driven like an hour to just go find an exhaust manifold to this Jag to replace what had broken off. 
they're like, he's like, Hey, you guys have been up for two days working on these cars, go in my house, find a bed, find a couch, take a nap. We're going to take care wow. of this. So like Matt becomes like crew chief, all these guys, they just jump on this Jag, like NASCAR style. They fix it. They get us on the road. You know, Lewis, just an incredible dude. And just like total strangers. He's like, you guys are car people. You're my family. Come on in. You know, we we're like, man, you know, what can we do? And he's like, you know, Hey, you know, my wife's in the hospital. Let's go visit her. So we saddle up, you know, Grady is dressed like evil Knievel. <laughs> You know, Matt is dressed like Captain Chaos. And, you know, we're all like just showing up in like, you know, evil and evil jackets and cowboy hats. We look like the redneck village people showing up. And and we roll over to the hospital to visit her. And, you know, and Lewis has just become like one of the family ever since, you know, and he's just oh, yeah. such an awesome dude. And he was an incredible guy. So, you know, we take off, we start going up through British Columbia, we get up into Yukon territory, but right at the very north end of British Columbia. You know, where are these areas where it's like, you know, 200 miles before you run out of gas? We get to this last gas stop and we get out on the road and suddenly people are like flashing their lights, like waving, like pointing back. And so finally we pull over and stop and ask somebody. And they're like, yeah, a beaver dam gave way and washed out the highway up ahead. There's no way getting through. Oh, shit. Like, a beaver dam. Like, beaver dam. And beaver dams are, are quite large, especially Canadian ones. I mean, these things, <laughs> this thing drained like an 80 acre lake into a roadbed oh, and just washes wow. it away. Yep. So like, you know, our, you know, we're kind of the never say die sort of goonies of this thing. So we're like, okay, like, can we drive through the water? They're like, no, it's like a 50 foot gorge. We're like, okay, can we jump it? And they're like, no, like, are, you, are you crazy? No, can we jump it? They're like, it's like 130 meters. And I'm looking at these three cars we got, like, maybe the challenger on a good day with a tailwind, but none of these other cars, it's going to be like that red thing where people just drive off into that bay. So we're not jumping it. Like, we're like, can we find like an army truck or something that can ford the river? They're like, no, it's like a gorge, white water. We can't do it. Does anybody got a pontoon boat? They're like, no, the, like the lake's gone now. We can't float you around. Like, crap, there's literally no way around it. About that time, I hear a helicopter and I look out the window and it's one of those helicopters. It's got like the big water bag underneath it for like putting out forest fires. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's our solution. So I hop the fence. I just go sprinting out to this helicopter as the guy's landing. And of course, I run up and he's like wondering what I want. I'm like, Will this thing pick up a car? He's like, what? And I was like, will this helicopter pick up a car? He's like, no. I was like, do you know anybody with a helicopter that will pick up a car? He was like, get out of here. What are you talking about? So like, that's not happening. So we go back inside and we're at this little cafe, this place called Coal River. Nice people, sweet dog out front. It's a great little kind of cafe gift shop place. They make their own moose burgers. Like it's a great little roadhouse stop. It's like something from the 1940s. So we go in there and we're like, okay, What's you know, we have three days to get to Alaska. We are in British Columbia. It is a thousand miles back south the way we came and 300 miles west and another thousand miles north just to get back to where we are. Like literally 15 miles up the road from where we are. So, you know, Ben turns to Grady and, and Grady is this Grady's the guy that holds the record for driving like all the lower 48 states. Uh, he's a transcon veteran. He's a super cool dude. And he is like a human computer. Like after AI takes over and, and we're all like living like Terminator style, <laughs> Grady's going to be the guy that makes everything work. Cause his brain can like calculate numbers like you've never seen. So Grady does the math in his head and he's like, all right. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but he's like, if we average 67 miles an hour, the next 72 hours, we can just get there in time. Whoa. So we're like, Oh my God, you know, that's, these cars are crap. Like, 
and averaging 67 miles an hour. If you've ever done cannonball, that means like you're actually driving like 95 and 100 miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, you got to haul the mail. Fuel stop, that kind of stuff. So like, so Ben and I, and I got. I wish I had recorded this. Ben literally does this like patent speech thing. He like he's actually wearing like a, a Stars and Stripes Evil Knievel jacket, and he's from New Zealand. He's got this great you know fantastic accent. He like pretty much stands up in a chair in this cafe. We're all kind of standing there. We're all tired, hollow eyed, hungry, thirsty. Just we've already been on the road night and day for five straight days already. And he gives us this like, you know, are you cannonballers? Or are you not cannonballers? Like we came to do a thing and we're going to do this thing. And we drive longer and farther and farther and faster than anybody else does. And, and, and I believe in you guys. So I'm going to go and get in the car. And I'm going to do this thing. And if I got to do it alone, but whoever's with me, we're going. And he just like grabs his hamburger and he walks out the door. And, and just like in a movie, you know, like we all just start like filing out the door. It's like, like when everybody's like volunteering for the suicide mission, you know, we all come out the door and we just start like cleaning out back seats. We start giving stuff to locals, camera crew guys with us there. Like the camera crew people are there that John's brought. We're like, guess what? You're cannonballers. Now you're driving too. And we get in the car and we do it. And we go like, literally like, it might've been like 1200 miles. It was far, like all the way, like, a thousand miles south, all the way west. We go up north again. Now we're on these like even more desolate roads. There's only two roads to drive to the Yukon Territory. You can go the eastern side of the Rockies and the western side. We'd gone up the eastern side, made it like 15 miles from the top, all the way back down again, across, back up. We're carrying gas in the truck for other cars because there's places where like, you know, you drive 300 miles, there's one gas station. And if it's closed, well, you're stuck until they open again. And some of these places aren't open until spring. <laughs> so, you know, we get there, we get to the first one, we gas up, we get to the second one, it's closed, like inexplicably closed. Oh. So we put our reserve fuel in the car, we keep forging ahead, we get to like this last town. Now we're just on vapors, we got nowhere to go. It's another 270 miles to the next place. And we get there, and like the gas station, is just inexplicably closed. And we're just like, crap, what are we going to do? You know, we're kind of standing there in the parking lot. They were that far north. It's like 11 o'clock at night, 1030 at night. But, you know, there's still some daylight out. So we're standing there figuring out what the plan is. The gas tanks up there tend to be like above ground tanks. And we're looking at the hoses and the piping. We're thinking like, okay, this is low pressure here. We can take this pipe off, drain the gas out we need, and then put the money in the envelope with an apology and like slide it under the door. Cause like, this is like, we you know, don't give up, you know, never give up. So we're about to start taking this gas tank apart when this minivan rolls up and there's a really nice native American lady inside named Bluebell and Bluebell's like, you know, you boys need some gas. And we're like, yes, ma'am, we do. And I, for some reason, I'm always like the, I'm like the one that talks to the cops when they show up at the party, you know, I'm, over <laughs> talking to her. I'm like, yes, ma'am, we sure do. She goes, well, that gas station is owned by our mayor and he's a hundred miles away judging a fishing tournament. Let me go ask around town and see what I can find. Wow, you know, thank you so much. So she drives off. Well, earlier in the day, we talked to these welder guys who were like pipeline welders. They both had big fancy Dodge trucks with all the welding gear in the back and generators and everything. They happen to roll in. They're just going to park for the night. They're like, you guys out of gas? We're like, yeah. Like, well, you know, we got some gas for our generators. We can let you have it. But at that time, some other people pull up. They'd been out riding dirt bikes and four-wheelers. Like, yeah, we got some gas left. We'll give it to you. Bluebell shows back up. She's like, yeah, the whole town's pitching in. Like people got gas out of snow blowers and That's snow awesome. machines and all no kind of stuff. Way. Literally, it was like, it was like that scene at the end of it's a wonderful life. When like, everybody's like putting money in the basket, like this town, like, of course the town's like 12 houses and a bar and a motel on the gas station. I mean, they're 180 miles from the next town. 
So, like, the whole town literally just pitches in and gives us gas. And they wouldn't even take anything for it. They're just like, no, you guys are doing something cool and crazy. You know, go for it. So that gets us to the next town. I'm just thinking, like, man, Canadians are, like, the most awesome people on the planet. So we get to the next town. All the gas stations are closed. It's going to be, like, seven hours before we can, like, get gas again. And that's going to put us too far behind. We're not going to make it. So we're just like, you know, it's like in the movies, like those Christmas movies where it's like, oh, no, there's not going to be a Christmas. Oh, wait, you know, last minute. <laughs> well, sure enough, some trucker pulls in. He'd been sitting there about to take a nap. But he watched us kind of hit all the gas stations around town like hummingbirds looking for a flower or something. And he could tell they're all closed. And he rolls up and he's like, you know, yo, you fellas need some gas. We're like, yeah. He said, well, you know what? Down the way, there's some gas pumps. They belong to an oil company, but they'll take your credit card. It's for like the, the oil industry up here. You can get some gas there. We're like, man, thank you. So, again, we gas up. We keep going. We make it all the way to Glacier View. I mean, the just the craziest experiences the whole way. We make it there. We roll in there, like, with hours to spare, get a hero's welcome, and just proceeded to have an incredibly fun time launching these cars off a cliff. I mean, there was 10,000 people. Now, you probably seen the videos online. It's like a 40-story cliff. I mean, we're just, oh, my God. You know, and, you know, you guys are car guys. Everybody watching is probably a car guy. You know, we all get emotionally invested in our vehicles. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I know I speak for myself, but like I tend to anthropomorphize my cars. Like yeah. they got personalities. They have a heart. Like, like if one of was making me mad, I don't want to like talk bad about it when it can hear me. I'm going to go like around the other side of the house. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> so like, you know, these cars, which were utter crap, I mean, they were just garbage cars. We'd worked on them and we we're just, you know, finding wire on the side of the road and old license plates and parts and people were giving us stuff and, I mean, we just had so many cool experiences in these things. And after a week and a half in these cars, like they were like family and, and it was a bit emotional, you know, like suddenly there was this kind of like, you know, like, like I don't want to let it go. Like, like I, I want to take this truck back home. I want to take this Jag back home. And, you know, when Ben kind of steps up again, you know, kind of the, the, the emotional leader of the group. And he was like, fellas, you know, this is what we brought these things for. Like they're on their last leg. Like let's put them out of their misery let them go out doing something cool. And, you know, this is their time. We came to do this thing and we're like, you know what, let's do it. So, you know, we line up and of course, you know, some of the other cars go off ahead of ours. They let us go to last three and, Aww. you know, and, and watching those trucks fly. And, I, and I've got some great video of this. Of course, again, you've seen it on YouTube, like, you know, watching the truck go, it just, you know, the, the charger goes off first. And of course it's got more power than anything that's ever gone off in history on that ramp. That car goes off. You know, we, we take the windows glass out. We take all the fluids out, except for like a pint of gas. We cut the exhaust off just to make them sound cool. This <laughs> thing's got like a, you know, a Hemi V8 in it, just screaming wide open. Goes off, actually like does like a cool, like almost like a backflip. Like it, like the, the, the torque just rotates the car over. It lands like upside down backwards. Just like misses the whole landing zone, lands out in the woods, just destroys it. <laughs> Right after that, the truck goes off. The truck goes in this glorious just arc. Like, I mean, it like just goes off like a big spiral and just almost seemed to like hang like Jordan, you know, just flew through the sky <laughs> and just hit the bottom of the cliff and just came apart like the challenger. I mean, oh, just yeah. there was nothing left of that thing. It just obliterates itself. Well, about the same time the truck's going off, the jag goes off. We actually tried to make them hit in midair. Of course, that didn't happen. But the jag of all these cars went out the coolest. You know, the jag goes off. And again, the frame in this thing is rusty. The floor is rusty. It's got a 350 Chevy in it because God knows the Jaguar motor wasn't going to survive it. You know, John had put this 350 in there. Maddie kept it going. This thing is like 
fuel pump kept going out. Like finally we had just resorted to putting like a little fuel cell, like a little fuel tank just on the engine, just basically just gravity dumping gas into the carburetor. <laughs> so the Jaguar goes off and this thing is like painted like Union Jack livery, small black Chevy cut off at the headers, you know, just wow, just wide open. And as soon as the, the wheels come off the ground, you know, all the resistance is gone. So like the RPMs just shoot up to red line. Jaguar goes off, takes the glorious nosedive, hits about halfway down the cliff face, and it like literally breaks in half. And that 350 Chevy with just that its own little fuel tank strapped to it just rips out of the thing. Like like in like India, I don't I said this in the Ben Wiggy story. It's like that Indiana Jones movie where they like pull the guy's heart out and like show it to him. Uh-huh. The car <laughs> breaks in half. The engine just rips out and it is in the air, like still running, just <laughs> screaming at red line, fan belts flying off, flames are shooting out of both the headers. It is just like flying through the air, like what just banging. I didn't have a rev limiter, just valve float, just it's ten thousand RPMs flying through the air. There's ten thousand people are just like slow motion, like ah, you know, heavy metal blasting out of the PA system. We are all up at the top of the cliff. Like we are like jumping and laughing and, and crying. And it just like hits just <laughs> boom into the lake and this big pile of hissing steam and the motor just explodes on impact. Like it was the most like heavy metal, God bless America. <laughs> like, just, you know, people overuse the word awesome a lot, but like, it was awesome. I mean, we were just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it was, oh my God, it was just the most intense. I mean, we are hugging each other, tears running down our face. <laughs> like, oh my God, I, I get, it's been a year now. I get fired up just talking about it. Oh my God. It was just the most climactic end to the biggest adventure you ever had. It, it's like when you're like 10 and you're having a sleepover and your friends are like, Let's sneak out and make a fort, but first we're gonna break into the police station. Like it was that kind of like please maybe hilarity. Oh my god, it was just it was awesome, man. I mean, I, I can and I can't I cannot even with all my effusiveness, I cannot do this justice. It's just how like lip biting, devil horn, just like we literally put an Iron Maiden CD in the truck cranked it wide open, yanked the volume knob off, and just sent it. I mean, it was like, you know, and I've spent a lot of time in Europe and the UK since then, and I've tried to explain this story to people over there, and they're like, you know, the the patriotism of Americans is just bewildering to us. I'm like, because we get to do stuff like this. Like, 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 I mean, how about God bless America? There is nowhere on earth you could do this level of just over the top. I mean, it was just bananas. And we just had such a good time. And I would have been there again this year, except my Arctic Circle trip ran long. And I was literally on the way back as those guys were going north. And I just, I'd been gone like 32 days, which for somebody who basically doesn't even have a real job, like I, I was, I had to get back to work. <laughs> so like, I literally had to miss it this year, but like Matt and Jay Roberts, a bunch of homies, when did it this year, they represented as well. And Ben and I are already talking about going back next year. Uh, John, all of us, we've got a plan. We got a car. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be over the top. It's going to be something they've never seen before, but that'll be a story for next year. Is that but, the single best answer to any question we've ever asked? That was nice. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I, 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 I wish I wish I could do it justice, I, I, but thank I, you. And I've got so much more stuff to ask you about. That is, that is the <laughs> best answer. <laughs> All right, Christopher. I, I, I'm excited. All right, well, let's, let's go. Let, let's keep it rolling, man. What, what you got? Take a, take a sip, 
and then tell me <laughs> what is Cannon Boss, where does it take place, and what did you drive there? Oh, man, the Cannon Boss. All right. So my friend Chris O'Neill lives in north of Scotland, kind of up near like Loch Ness, like Inverness and this area. Um, so he lives over the north of Scotland, and Chris is just an incredible dude. Uh, he's a rock star. He's like a he's like a flight nurse on a helicopter in the North Atlantic, servicing like oil rigs. Wow! And he races cars. And he's in a rock band, and uh, he's just like one of those dudes. Is like the coolest guy. Yeah. And he is a huge Cannonball fan. He's a huge Smoking the Bandit fan. And you know, years ago uh, he started doing this run. Uh, his brother, who's now since passed away, his brother Liam. Uh, has a r- pretty rare condition called Marfan syndrome. And, you know, when Liam started getting really sick, uh, you know, Liam loved these movies too. So Chris started organizing his friends and they would just do like a lap around the north of Scotland. Uh, there's a route called the North Coast 500. Uh, if you've ever been to Scotland before, it's one of the most beautiful countries on earth. And I should know because I've been all over this planet. Not only are the Scottish people awesome and hilarious, but it's just a beautiful place. So anyway, he set up this kind of a charity ride of just, cool cars, sports cars, whatever. And they do a big lap around North of Scotland. And, you know, unfortunately, several years ago, uh, Liam passed away, but Chris has kept this thing going in his brother's honor. Uh, he has since gotten like my buddy, Tim Phillips, who is a bandit impersonator. You know, he's gotten Tim Phillips to do videos uh, every year. Uh, he's gotten uh, F1 legend, Jackie Stewart to do one. Wow. Uh, he's got, uh, let's see. Um, uh, Judy Dench did one last year. Um, I was very honest. Oh, I got God. to do one this year and I was very proud of that. But anyway, uh, the cannonballs, uh, the, the, the Scottish accent, when you say cannonball, kind of comes out with a Z on the end, so they kind of make a pun on that. So it's the cannonballs run. And it's just a bunch of car people that all get up there. They raise money for Marfan Syndrome. They do a two-day lap all around the north of Scotland, and it's just an incredible ride. It's not like an out-and-out, like, timed run like the cannonball is. It's more of a just a spirited kind of charity drive thing. But he picks, you know, great stops, great restaurants, great overnight places, you know, his band plays. It's a great bunch of people. Made a bunch of new friends. Um, I got involved in it. Um, my very best friend, Vicky, and I have been, she lives in England. She and I have been doing all kinds of crazy stuff together for near 20 years. We've road tripped all over the country, all over Europe, you know, Arctic Circle to Africa. We've done some hardcore road trips. She calls me up, you know, and I heard about it. And then she's like, hey, I'm going to take my car. She has a, they call it an MX-5. We call it a Miata. It's like a third gen Miata or something. Which, you know, over here in the States, we think like, oh, that's kind of a slow little car. On those tight little single lane roads in Scotland where they have like chiseled it out of a sea cliff and it's a 400 foot drop into the North Atlantic on one side and a 100 foot drop wall, wall of rock up the other with little cute howling cows and sheep jumping out in the road in front of you with moss <laughs> in the road. That is all the car you want. It's actually a perfect car for that. So I fly over to England. She and I hop in her car. We zip up there. We do the run. We have a great time, you know, just top down. Vicky's dad was Paul Birch. He was a world rally racer back in the seventies. And she and her brother are both very, very competent drivers. She's done a lot of rally, rally navigating. Vicky hauls ass. And, you know, we are out there running with, you know, Porsches and Jaguars and Aston Martins and, and that little car, I mean, those little skinny roads. I mean, it's so desolate out there. They don't even bother putting two lane roads in. They just put a single lane road, no lines or markers. And, about every quarter mile, there's a little wide spot you can pull off if somebody's coming, but the chances of meeting a car are pretty slim. So 
anyway, we're out there just dodging sheep like Frogger, driving over 1,500-year-old <laughs> or 2,000-year-old bridges. That I mean, the Romans built those roads up there, so we're yeah. blowing over these 2,000-year-old bridges. And, I mean, it's just an incredible run, too. Great people, had a great time. And, and that one run ended up being hugely seminal in my whole world because, you know, I, I did, did the run. And I was up in this funny little town up there and I posted a little video on Instagram, just like, Hey, up here doing this race, funny thing I observed here, whatever. And a TV producer happened to be on his way to Scotland to do just on vacation. And he was just searching Instagram. And I, I don't know crap about at symbols and hashtags. And as again, I said earlier, when I was trying to get my mic set up, I'm like somebody's grandmother when it comes to like technology, (laughs) but you know, Vicky showed me how to put a couple of tags in it. I tagged Scotland and road trip and something like that. Well, sure enough, the guy finds my video and he's like, well, this guy can talk. So he does a little, get digs a little deeper. He finds a video of Ben and I standing at the top of the cliff in Alaska. And he finds that. Then he leaps right from there to Vinwicky. Then he looks me up on Vinwicky and he sees that I'm a welder and a fabricator and a car builder. So out of nowhere, I just get this Instagram message one day from this guy and he's a Blake and he's like, Hey, you know, we're putting together a show for Hot Wheels. Do you happen to know anything about Hot Wheels? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> let me send you a picture of the 15,000 Hot Wheel cars in my Hot Wheel car collection and all my signs and memorabilia and quarter mile of track and everything else. Um, Ed Bolian had just set three or a bunch of us all got together, you know, Travis and Doug Tabbitt, a bunch of us all flew down and Ed kind of orchestrated his son for his son's birthday to set three Hot Wheels world records. And if you ever follow Ed online, you know, he will make these incredibly elaborate Hot Wheel tracks in his attic at his house or his playroom, whatever it is, you know, dad of the year kind of stuff. He and his son have a great time playing with Hot Wheels. So he, Ed orders a half a mile of Hot Wheel track. We use my truck up the top of a hill, you know, cause my truck is like 12 feet tall and we put a big 15 foot extension ladder on it and make that like the launch ramp. And so we set three Hot Wheels world records. <laughs> so it's just a couple of months later. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got 50. I got one of the largest Hot Wheel collections in the world. I was a part of these three records that Ed was doing. And I love Hot Wheels and I love cars. I love drawing cars. Here's some of my art. You know, I'm a, I'm a car renderer. I do illustrations. I do fabrication. I do custom metal work. Like, I'm your guy. And they're like, dude, you are a guy. Pack your bags. We're going. And boom, I found myself on Hot Wheels Ultimate Challenge, which you know, for me as a kid growing up, you know, just watching these car building shows, just thinking like, man, you know, wouldn't it be cool to build crazy cars with your friends with an unlimited budget and do crazy stuff, you know, like not things that, I mean, I've built cannonball cars. I've built off-road rock crawlers. I've built expedition trucks. I mean, I've built stuff that's got to work. I mean, it's got to be safe. It's got to be roadworthy. It has to be like mathematically perfect. And not that we didn't put that kind of work into these cars, but you know, as the producers told us on set, anytime we'd start getting lost in like chassis geometry and whatever, they'd be like, look, you're building Hot Wheels. You're not building a race car. I mean, this car is going to get driven. Yeah, but it's going to be in parades. It's going to be, you know, around a parking lot. It's going to be in a movie set. It's not going to be like out on the highway. Look at the things you guys are doing in these cars. Nobody's going to ever <laughs> give you a license plate for a Volkswagen Beetle with a monster head on the front or a Cadillac with a fold down skateboard ramp or a Nissan with a wrestling ring in the middle or a monster truck hearse or a hot rod Volkswagen van or a Dodge neon with a V8 swap and flapping butterfly wings. Like you guys have 
it pretty much secured the fact these cars are not going to road. So have fun. They're like, you know, build a car, but have fun. Like this is Hot Wheels. It's about imagination. Yeah. Like, so did you just living. list off everything you built on that show? Um, I mean, I did. I, some of the ones I did, I did not build either. I mean, there were it was a pretty big team, so we kind of traded off. So I just listed off a bunch of them. But yeah, man, it was it was just crazy stuff. And and, and I just it was just the, the accumulation of my whole career of you know drawing cars. You know, when I was a little kid, we lived out in the middle of the sticks, and there wasn't even like a toy store even to buy Hot Wheels, even if I had money. So what I would do is at school, I would like draw pictures of like, you know, the General Lee or the Ghostbusters hearse or Kit or whatever. I would trade drawings of cars to other kids for their Hot Wheels. So that's how I like amass my Hot Wheels collection. I mean, of course, my grandmother gave me one of my Christmas stock and that kind of stuff. But I was trading drawings for Hot Wheels. And then fast forward 45 years. Now I'm doing drawings for Hot Wheels. And, and it was just this great full circle. You know, I mean, I've just been building cars and drawing cars and playing with Hot Wheels my whole life. And, and here I am on a TV show, drawing Hot Wheels, building Hot Wheels, playing with Hot Wheels with my friends. And it was just, just a cool experience. And it's pretty cool. You know, I, I feel like Forrest Gump sometimes, like I just stumbled into the <laughs> coolest things, but you know, an ounce of enthusiasm and a willing to get in the van will go a long way. <laughs> you know, you guys see that meme, you know, the, 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 the van with the guy with the unicorn head. And he's like, no time to explain, get in the van. <laughs> like, just, like that's kind of the story of my life. You know, somebody just pops up. Hey, I got a bad idea. I'm like, let's do it. Or, Hey, I got a good idea. I'm like, let's do it. Awesome. And it was just an awesome experience, man. It was, it was cool. Uh, it aired on NBC, which was the first time a major network did a car build show. And now it's streaming on Peacock. So you can go on Peacock and pull up Hot Wheels on a challenge. And we're waiting on the, the schedule for season two. And I, and I hope I'm a part of it. It was just an amazing experience. And, you know, it was just so fun to, just build something that's just purely your imagination and just to, I mean, of course it's, it's a lot of artists and people together. So, so often we had different ideas. We had to hash it out, you know, whose idea is going to make it. And we really didn't only have a week to build them. It is, oh, you know, wow. there is TV magic sometimes, but we just had one week to build this car and, wow. and we did it. It was just a, just a fun experience. And, and it was real liberating to, come up with something crazy and do it and not be worried about, you know, is this going to pass a safety inspection or <laughs> is this, is this 327 Chevy I'm putting in this Dodge neon going to pass emissions? Uh, <laughs> no, the answer it is no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. So, so man, it was just a cool experience. And I made so many new friends on that show and, you know, people I talk to every day now and, uh, you know, it's just one more chapter in this incredible life. I've been so blessed to have and, you know, and again, like it could be anybody that got it. I just happened to be the dude standing there at the time. And, and I just got really lucky and it was a dream shot. And, and again, kind of like everything else, I'm just trying to, you know, each thing I'm like, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a hermit crab. I'm just always trying to like spring, you know, move from one thing into the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And, you know, now that the show's wrapped, I'm just looking for the next project. And I've got a few ideas for some shows. I really enjoy TV and, you know, maybe I can find somebody who wants me to be on their show. If not, I've got a few ideas I'm pitching around and just trying to get them made. So you never know. But, you know, I guess if anything, the story of my life, I, advice I give anybody, it's just, man, you know, push every button, pull every lever, get in the van, try that food. You never know if you don't ask. Close your eyes and jump. Like, don't be afraid to try. Well, yeah. there, there is you know, more stuff coming up. And after talking to you on the show and in person, we found out that we've got a, a number of the same tastes and interests. 
uh, not the least of which is go-karts with functional brakes. <laughs> uh, oh, man, absolutely. So and I'm going to tell some stories on you here. So everybody out there in listener land, you know, Brett's a modest guy. He's probably not going to tell you what a big role he played. So Travis Bell, who we talked about earlier, Travis is, if anybody's living the dream, it is Travis. Travis it is, is Travis. one of the best dudes and, I've ever met and in I my whole life. I can't remember if we said it since we've been on the air, if we were talking about it before. If there's one way to describe Travis, he's living the life we all said we wanted to live when we were in high school <laughs> and study hall. And all the crap we ever uh, talked absolutely. about doing, Travis is doing. He's doing Travis is doing it, man. Travis makes dreams come true. And not just for himself. Travis makes dreams come true for his friends, too. I mean, Travis is, and again, I'm speaking, I could say the same words for 20 guys in this cannibal community, but Travis Bell is a good dude. He has been an incredible friend is. to me, an incredible friend to other people. Travis lives his life to make his life and his friend's life as fun as possible. And he called me up and he was like, I got a crazy idea. Do you have a go-kart? And I was like, I do not, but if you're doing it, I will find one. He's like, I got one better. I got one here waiting for you. I was like, man, I can't wait. So, you know, me and Aaron Tulin and we picked up Tim, the sticker guy on the way up there. We yep. all pile in the truck. Those two have go-karts. We head up to Indianapolis to Travis's place. Uh, ben, Travis flew Ben all the way from New Zealand, first class, all the way so he could be a part of it. I mean, Arnie Toman, Doug Tabbitt, Mark Spence, so many guys showed up. Jeez, Brett Mark shows Spence. Up. <laughs> oh, God, Mark Spence is the most hilarious dude. I mean, there's so many. I, I'm doing, I mean, Mace, I'm doing somebody, I'm leaving 50 people out. Everybody showed up. Ed had something to do that weekend. Everybody else showed up. John Ficar had something to do that weekend, but most of us made it, and we just had a blast. But So I get there, and Travis has a Dodge Ram go-kart, and this thing was really, really special to me, and it's a long story, and it's something between me and Travis, but that little that little go-kart had a connection to my childhood. It, made, it was very important to me, and Travis later gave me this go-kart, and oh. uh, it's one of my proudest possessions. Yes. But um, but it needed some work. And now, you know, growing up out in the woods, I never had a go-kart. I wanted a go-kart. I had no experience in go-karts whatsoever. So this thing needs some engine work. The steering is like, terrifying <laughs> so you know i'm trying to figure out like okay I'm, I'm i'm a pretty mechanical guy i can figure out go-karts it is the night before the heat races i can figure this out but i'm not really making much progress so saturday morning rolls around and a guy i'd heard of but never met in person fan of brett hatfield shows up and he's like i know go-karts i got you covered and so brett out of nowhere doesn't know me from anything basically becomes my crew chief for the weekend we rally some troops and some guys together and like that, the brakes on that mini Ram, it had like one little like friction brake on it, which we discovered even with a brand new shoe with my big fat ass in there at 45 miles an hour at <laughs> one application of the brake, you got a warm up lap, a heat lap and a three lap race. You got to use the brakes one time and they were done. Yeah. Wow. So but I'm smoking brakes left and right. <laughs> chains coming off steering's crazy and brad is like i got you and like he just became this like leader and, and just became like he was like robert duvall to my tom cruise in days of thunder and just <laughs> kept that thing going and we had the best time hanging out and just got to be friends and just had an awesome time and he kept the mini ram going uh 
I, I have it. It's up on my wall up here. I have it somewhere. Where is it? Just up north of this speed limit 100 sign here. I have a printout of the, uh, the, the heat race, my qualifying lap. I'm one. I'm in first place. Doug Tabbitt is in second place. It's the only time in my life I ever was or ever will be faster than Doug Tabbitt at anything. <laughs> <laughs> now he is the fastest man in the he is the fastest man in the world, and, and and he completely smoked me in the finals. But I think it might have been a setup. But anyway, <laughs> I, I qualified on pole position. Just had a great time. And again, nobody cared who wins or loses. I mean, some, the the grand prize was a car. And and some guy with like a full toter home. He was a cool dude. Custom go kart, full toter home shows up. He just wiped the floor up with everybody. Nobody cares. It was a crap car anyway. We just had a great time. It was so much fun. Yeah, but he absolutely won that twenty seven hundred dollar car. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, and yeah, when if I'd have won it, I'd have had a hard time parking it next to my two hundred dollar car, my four hundred dollar car, my free car. So. $2,700 is way too rich for my blood anyway. <laughs> but but as Brad could attest, we all just had the best time up there. Oh, Travis a had a mariachi band. Travis, for anybody that's not familiar with this, Travis turned like 10 acres of his backyard into an entire go-kart course. Well, a.k.a. for the city planning community, it's a walking path. But it also happens to be a walking path wide enough for go-karts to run wheel-to-wheel racing on it. And, I mean, we just had the best time. People crashed, people flipped, people hit fences. There was this privacy fence. We called it Dead Man's Turn. It was like a 90-degree turn at the end of the big I'm pretty sure trail. it was Mark Spence on all three of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Somebody somebody went through that, that fence, and it's like in the cartoons where there's like like the guys like running, and there's like a silhouette of him cut out in the fence. Like There's like a go-kart-shaped hole in that privacy fence. I mean, I had tire marks on all four sides of the mini-ram at some point with somebody's like sideways. I didn't have any brakes. All I could do was coming into a turn, I would just pick something that had wider tires than me. I would just slide into them on the inside and just use them to to go around the turn. I had to use other people for braking. Uh, you know, it, it just it was just so much fun. I mean, there were injuries, there was blood, there was laughter, there were tears. But as Travis said a month ahead of time, he's like, Y'all are gonna need a smile to me to get the smiles off your face in this he weekend. Was absolutely is done. right. And he was absolutely right. Travis Bell is the host with the most. And afterwards, he gave me the mini Ram go-kart, which just means so much to me on so many levels. And I'm modifying it right now. It's getting disc brakes and <laughs> awesome. wide tires. I can't wait to see And those. a little bit of suspension. And while it has a super cool NASCAR race truck livery on it, you know, because I have a Dodge Ram that's pretty famous, I am trying to. I don't know if I get it done by this year, but I'm going to turn that go-kart into – a miniature version of my mega cabs. This is going to be the mini mega ram. I've got a little bitty plastic ram skull for my hood ornament. I've got the, I'm going to build the roof rack. I'm going to make the sand ladders. I found some little flasks that look like jerry cans that are going to go in the back. I'm going to put the LED lights and the snorkel. I'm going to build a little mini version of my truck. And I'm going to go up there and, and I don't care if it's slow or not. I don't care if I'm in first place or last place. I'm going to have the best time. And, you know, and and if Brett's there, I wanted to be my crew chief again. I know he's getting some you getting some knee work done this year, but I will absolutely come on back, be man, because I would have never done it without you, man. You made it all possible, I will, and it was just the best time. I will absolutely be there without question. Speaking of other things oh, that uh, I'd like us to be able to do together, what is the Southern Classic? When is it held, and who participates? Well, I can answer one of those questions. <laughs> um, it's 
the Southern Classic, you know, if, if you watch Smoking the Bandit at the very beginning of it, you know, he's laying in the hammock, you know, he's got his hat down, you know, it's like the, you know, come meet the bandit, kind of meet a legend sort of thing. The race going on in the background is called the Southern Classic. That's the race being held at, in Atlanta. It's called Lakewood Fairgrounds now. It's like a concert venue. But back in the day, it was like an amusement park and a fairground, and they run a race on a dirt track there. And in the movie in 1977, there was a, or 78, the race is called the Southern Classic. So a very good friend of mine who was a hero to all of us, um, I can't say his name, but he organized this race. Oh, excuse me. It's not a race. He organized a, a charity drive <laughs> where a bunch of friends get together in pre-1983 cars. And some of us may or may not dress up like the characters from the movie. And some of us actually have cars from the movie. And we leave Atlanta at the Lakewood Fairgrounds, just like in the movie. And we drive to Texarkana, Texas. And we buy one 12-pack of Coors beer. <laughs> Coors Banquet. And we drive back to Lakewood Fairgrounds. And um, I, I can't say when and I can't say who, but it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, in the movie, they had 28 hours to do this run. And, um, you know, and of course, if you do it 28 hours, you're going well within the speed limit. Uh, <laughs> some people may or may not have done the trip in less time than that, but nobody's counting. And, you know, we all leave in like 15 minute intervals just to make sure it's safe and that everybody has their own drive. And it's just a bunch of friends getting together and doing something from a movie and having a good time. And, you know, I make the trophies for it every year out of some car parts and some things like that. And he's got a few other people that donate some things and we just have a good time. Then we all go go kart racing afterwards. And it's just an incredible event that is just a fun thing to do with friends. And, uh, you know, that's all I can really say. But, uh, it does happen at a certain time of year, but uh, I'm not going to say when and certainly not going to say who, but it's a lot of my friends and we all have a really, really good time. Uh, I've heard about the event. I want to go. Come on, man. I want to, I want to ride in one of your Corvettes. Okay. We'll do that. That's absolutely doable. Now we've talked about the smuggler truck in the past and where it came from and what it was, but I heard that it has befallen hard times uh, in the last year, uh, tell us what happened to it and what are you planning to do with it now? Well, man, you know, like, you know, that truck is, is unique to say the least. And I could see why it would be tempting for somebody to want to have some of the unique parts off of it. And sure enough, you know, I went out on one of my adventures that did not involve the smoke truck and I left it parked on the street, down the street from my buddy's house. And I got back, and sure enough, somebody had uh, – it actually, from the smuggler days, it's got this sort of impact-resistant uh, laminate on the windows. Somebody tried to break a window. It didn't break. They took a chisel, and they punched the door lock out, and they got into the truck, and they – it was like it was like in Christine. I mean, they trashed the dashboard. They stole a bunch of stuff out of the truck. They did some electrical damage to it, some computer damage to it, and – uh certainly damaged the outside as well. And I got back and I was just right in the middle of TV and a bunch of other runs and some big projects and artwork and a few sculptures and things like that. And I didn't have time to mess with it. So I just had to put it aside and drive one of my beater with a heater cars. And I've been trying to get, you know, just get a chance to get it back going again. Um, 
I mean, it, it suffered a lot of damage. I'm still wrestling with insurance on it. And, uh, I was a bit at a loss as what to do. I mean, that truck has certainly been the focal point of my whole world change. You know, if I hadn't had that truck, I would not have been at this car show. If I hadn't been the car show, I would not have, you know, Dan and Rusty and Brent and John and some of my very best friends in the world. And if I had been at that car show with them, I would not have met Ed and get to be Vin Wiki on Vin Wiki. If I had been on Vin Wiki, I'd have never been doing all these races and TV shows and go-kart races and throwing cars off a cliff and getting sculpture commissions and art commissions for car guys and getting to be on cool podcasts like this one. Like that truck is like the little choke point for my whole life. And I've had a lot of offers of people to buy it, but I, I could never sell that thing. It no, is yeah. it's like the Millennium Falcon or something. Like it's just one of those things that is just it's part of the story. So uh just recently, um Ed actually uh, introduced me to a guy named Rob Dillon. Rob owns a, a rooftop overland and we are partnering up and we're going to kind of bring my truck back. We're going to make it like $6 million man style. We're going to make it bigger, faster, better. We've got some cool events to go and do. I've gotten really involved in the Facebook community with overlanding and I've been like overlanding for 25 years. I mean, I've been taking off on road trips you know, driving the whole coastline of North America, both coast. I have been to the Arctic Circle. I've climbed mountains. I've been in swamps and deserts. I put that boat, that truck on a flatbed lobster boat and shipped <laughs> it from North Carolina out to a deserted island of North Core Banks and South Core Banks. It is like 25 miles long and a mile deep over the horizon, like literally out of sight of land. Guy backs you up to the beach like D-Day styles, like, tell me what day to come back and get you. So he drops me off like Sunday. I'm like, see you Friday. And I proceeded to spend, I brought food, fuel, everything else. I spent like a week just bombing around on sand dunes. I mean, me and that truck have been everywhere together. And um, so we're going to do some more crazy stuff like that. You know, I have another project going on that I can't talk about, but it involves a, a very, very long distance drive and some other exciting things. But I built that truck, the, the black truck I have, to do the Pan American highway someday, you know, to go from Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, where I've been all the way down to Ushuaia. I've not done, I've been to South America, but I have not done the full Ushuaia bit yet. So I built that truck for that. Now, whether I take that truck or not, I don't think it's actually going to be the rig that's going to go. But anyway, Rob and I are going to start doing some crazy stuff with the truck, working with some sponsors right now. It's a pretty well-built truck. I mean, it's kitted out well, but the parts are 10 and 15 years old on it. So I'm going to upgrade a few things and, we're going to start, you know, partnering up and do some exciting things, try to get some people together. Rob is very interested in like the wellness of being out in nature. Uh, we've got another partner, Nick, who's been to like kind of a community outreach thing, you know, getting kids who have like maybe gotten a little bit of trouble, who've never really gotten out of like the, the middle of a city, taking them out, you know, letting them experience nature, mountains, rivers, streams, yeah. animals getting out there. So we're still kind of in the brainstorming phase right now, but we're going to do some really exciting things. and. And just use that truck as a vehicle, both figuratively and literally, to you know get some products out there for sponsors, and thus have some funding to go do some really cool adventures, and hopefully involve some people in them that may not get a chance to have an adventure like that. So I'm really excited about that. Really excited about revamping the, the smuggler truck. You know, Ed and I are going to do some video stuff on that. You know, it's been a big fan favorite on Benwicky. I mean, again, between you know my 35 or 36 stories I've done on Benwicky plus a bunch of top 10 lists I've been on, you know, top 10 
truck stories, top 10 American vehicle stories, top 10 drug smuggler stories, you know, <laughs> I've got, I don't know, 33, 33, 35 million views on VinWiki. I've got about another seven to 10 million on a few other shows or a few other channels. So like that truck is known everywhere I go with it. And I'm really hoping I can use that, help my sponsors, just keep having adventures, you know, just going to do more cool stuff. Yep. Sounds like the perfect you know, use for it. <laughs> I, I, you know, that truck, you know, that truck came from, you know, when I bought that truck from the DEA, it had not been registered anywhere in three years. The engine, the exhaust were all wrapped up with like heat blankets and sound deadening. Every wire to every light on the truck had been cut. It had a 24-volt converter and like military infrared lights on the front. They'd been driving <laughs> it across the border. It was seized in Laredo. That's all I could ever find out about the truck. It was seized in Laredo. And, you know, the river's real shallow there. And best I could tell is, People were just driving across the border in the dark at night with the goggles on. And oh, crap. I don't know what happened. Well, they got caught somehow. Um, you know, I've since tried to find other trucks like that. I found a couple of them. They call them coyote trucks. Mm-hmm. Found a few of them that have been wrecked. Uh, you know, mine had, you know, again, with all the light modifications, the engine had been turned up to 11. I mean, they did <laughs> all of the diesel performance stuff you could do an engine 15 years ago to it. After when I got it, had an exhaust, cracked exhaust manifold, the turbo was cooked. Uh, swapped that out, rebuilt the turbo, put a five inch exhaust out the back, and that truck dynoed at 698 foot, uh, 698 horsepower and wow. 1158 foot pounds of torque. <laughs> Jesus. So, you know, if you can imagine a four a lifted four wheel drive mega cab Dodge on mud tires that'll run a low 13 and a quarter mile, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, um, you know, that engine lasted a couple of years. It blew up. Um, I partnered up with uh, Jeff Garman. I traded them a sculpture in exchange for a rebuilt engine. And it's still modified, but not crazy like it was. But it's definitely bulletproof now. So, um, you know, it's just lived many lives. But, you know, starting out as a drug smuggler vehicle, and somebody got murdered in it. There are blood stains in the front trim and the front carpet. Like somebody in the back seat shot the person in the front seat in the back of the head. It, I mean, Somebody's been murdered in that truck. It wow. was a, I don't know, drug smuggler, people smuggler, gun smuggler. Like people always ask me like, oh, if you look for secret compartments, I'm like, man, the whole truck was a secret compartment. Like it wasn't like they were driving across the border I'm with a bag a of weed under the glove box. I mean, this thing, the whole truck was a secret compartment. It was, you know, I've, I've since talked to a couple of law enforcement border patrol guys down there and they didn't have anything on my particular truck, but you know, they told me they're like, yeah, we run across these trucks occasionally, you know, they're black. They're stealthed out. You can't see them in the dark. They got night vision. They got, you know, the sound muffled down. When we try to catch them, they just punch it. You know, my truck's got a big, like, ranch hand bumper in the front. It's Mm -hmm. all reinforced. It weighs over 400 pounds. It was welded to the frame. And the DA guy was like, yeah, man, these guys will run through fences, run through gates, run through a herd of cattle at 80 miles an hour, just knocking everything out of the way. Like, we can't catch them. Unless you we know, got a helicopter. It's probably better you don't know everything that went on with that. Yeah, truck. that's it. A- <laughs> you know, well, you know, it's a funny thing. So when I first told the original Vinwicky story about that, you know, I mentioned I'd had that truck about a year and I bought it in Texas. I'm back in Georgia. I was helping a buddy of mine move. He had, had a Range Rover shop and Land Rover shop. And we had three or four trucks on a big gooseneck trailer in the back. I was pulling with it. And somebody of his from Texas showed up. And it was helping him, you know, pack up and stuff. And the Texas guy gets there and he's kind of looking at my truck as we go by. This is before I'd done any of the overland modifications to it. It was pretty much exactly how I bought it. And, uh, you know, of course, again, we're in Georgia. 
And he looks at the truck and he goes, man, if I was back in Texas, I would swear this truck belonged to the drug smuggler my sister used to date. And I was like, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. You know, and, and I mentioned that on the story and I got like 150 comments. People were like, oh, you wussy, you missed out on a chance. You could have found out about your truck's history. You could have learned something like you wussed out, blah, blah, blah. And I no. was like, you know what? Like I pride myself on my situational awareness. And like, like this was only like a year after I bought my truck. I mean, it still had viable DNA evidence in the carpet. Like, I don't, like, I don't know if this guy still knows these drug smugglers. I, don't, uh, I mean, the last thing I wanted was some guy going, going back to Texas and going, yo, I found your truck. It's up in, you know, Athens, Georgia. You got to get up there. So I just played dumb. And, you know, people can judge me if they want. But, you know, A, I did not want anybody getting, you know, getting wind of where that truck is now. And then, too, you're right. Like, that truck has been a very positive experience for me. I've done charity work with that truck. I've made friends with that truck. I've set Hot Wheels world records with that truck. You know, kids are swinging all over it like a jungle gym, watching Hot Wheel cars off the top, laughing, having a good time. I'm very proud of the positivity that I've put into that truck, yeah. trying to undo some of the negativity. And, yeah, I kind of don't want to know. You know, maybe yeah. maybe somebody yeah. didn't get killed in that truck. Maybe, uh, maybe he just gutted a deer in the front seat or maybe <laughs> maybe he worked maybe it feel dressed a board and, and she, she spilled some blood in there one day i don't who knows i don't know what happened in that truck and i don't want to know but like i know that i've given it a positive existence now and yeah. especially partnering up with rooftop overland and all the positivity they're trying to bring to that sport that hobby you know i just want to keep going and you know lifting that truck up and, and, and undoing its dark past and, yeah. and just give it a positive mark on this world and, and yeah. I'm proud of what we're doing with it. And yeah, I'm just going to let it be a mystery, you know, and I'll never know. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. That's just fine. I understand your friend Ben found a stranger's ashes in a car he bought. Can you tell oh, us, man. can you tell us a little <laughs> about that? What the hell is he going to do with them? And is there oh. any kind of a legal hurdle in keeping a stranger's ashes? <laughs> Well, here's the thing now, and I'm probably talking out of school because I'm sure Ben can tell the story better than me, but Ben Charlie Safari Wilson is the founder of the C2C Express. He is one of the most interesting people you'll ever meet in your life. I certainly uh, thought so. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, Ben. Oh, yeah. You met him at the at the event. Yeah. Yes, I did. At, at the Backyard Forum. So Ben is just super cool guy, super nice guy, will do anything for anybody. You know, Ben lived in New Zealand. He was a big fan of cannonball. He got wind of what it was going to be like, literally like came here, bought a car and like showed up and there like, wasn't a cannonball that year. And he was like, fine, I'll start one. So he literally <laughs> just made one and made the CDC express, turned it into a thing. I mean, like there was like a Mount Rushmore of cannonballing. It would be like, you know, Ed Bolian and Ben Wilson and, you know, John Ficara and, of course, it'd be a 20 people wide, but he is just one of those guys that makes stuff happen. So Ben is incredibly engaging, incredibly interesting, eminently charming. I love the accent. He's like the sweetest dude in the world. So he calls me up the other day. Now, he is in England right now. Excuse me. He's in Wales right now, but he lives in New Zealand. And Ben has, has this thing for buying cars, like cheap cars. Like people will give Ben yeah. cars. He'll be like, he'll go to a bar meet some drunk dude. And by the time he leaves the bar, the guy has like given him his mom's old car or whatever. <laughs> ben has owned something like 2,500 cars. Yes. And most of them have not been like nice cars. Like no. Ben's not a, a wealthy guy that just goes out and buys stuff. He just buys these 
four door, you know, little crew cab, weirdo cars nobody else wants. He falls in love with them, brings them back to life, trades them, sells them. Ben's incredible. So Ben calls me up the other day. We have a four hour and 23 minute phone conversation because that's <laughs> the kind of guy Ben is. We just hang out and talk like that. So Ben bought a car over the phone and somehow the buyer, excuse me, somehow the seller didn't disclose to Ben that there was a box of somebody's ashes in the back of the car. He had acquired the car from somebody else that acquired the car. He was just flipping it. Ben now has got the car. Turns out there's a box of ashes in the trunk. Nobody knows who these ashes belong to, but there is an LA Raiders sticker on the box of ashes. So Ben, again, like, you know, there's so many great dudes in this community. Ben, this is the kind of Ben, the guy Ben is. Ben is like, I am coming to America with these ashes. You and I, talking to me, we're going to road trip across America to Oakland, and we're going to scatter this fan's ashes somewhere important, hopefully on the field. I don't know if we can even legally do this. I don't know if we're, he doesn't know if we're legally allowed to own the ashes or what. We don't even know who this person is. Best guess is there is somebody out there in a box in cremated in a box with a Raider sticker on it in the trunk of a car somewhere. And they're going to go. The Raider sticker is the only clue. Ben is like, I will travel to another continent and drive across the continent and spread some complete strangers ashes just because they had a Raider sticker on there. Cause that is the right thing to do. And it's going to be an awesome road trip. So Ben and I are going to do that next year. That's the kind of awesome guy Ben is like, like if your ashes got lost, Pray Ben Wilson finds him because he is going to see him through <laughs> to the end. I'm so proud. He has asked me to be a part of this. And again, I'm talking out of school. Ben's a great storyteller. Please have him on. Let him tell this story even better. Maybe after we've done it, I'm just happy to be a part of it. But, you know, Ben and I have had some great trips. We've road trip to Alaska um, after the Cannonball reunion last September. He has this like, Ben lives in other countries, but owns cars he keeps in different countries. <laughs> Like he has this, like he has this habit of like buying fire trucks in like Germany and places and just buying them on eBay. So he ends up with this like 1980s Panther platform Crown Vic taxi. And he proceeds to like modify it to look just like the taxi that Will Smith gets out of at the beginning of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It's got a license plate in the back that says Fresh. So he and I leave, we, we go to the Cannonball reunion in New York out on Long Island. And <coughs> We get in a taxi. Chris Clemens gets in his own car and races us halfway. We go to Ohio. We go to Ohio and hang out with Doug Tabbitt. We go up to Detroit to hang out with Eric Probst. Uh, they take me to the Ford Museum for my birthday, go to get spaghetti at, at M&M's restaurant. Then we go over to outside of Chicago, hang out with Arnie Toman. Then we proceed to drive Route 66 in a taxi. Again, no radio, no heat, no air. Like, I have this knack for going like epically long road trips and just terrible cars, <laughs> but that taxi never missed a beat. And we are just, you know, it's middle of September, you know, Midwest, we got the windows down. We're just sweating, taking turns driving. We had the best time. And like, just Ben is an incredible dude to hang out with. And there's just something magic about doing a road trip with your friends in crappy cars I mean, I'd love to have a nice car. Nice cars are great. It'd be great to hop in Bradley's S-Class and, you know, turn on the massage seats and the 
surround sound <laughs> and go jetting across the country. That's the best way to travel. You know, but Bradley, of course, he's got a great car. He's got the Shrek mobile and the Trans Am he's building. <laughs> you know, David's got a nice reliable car. He's got this 84 Suburban. Like, I've got a, a 1982 Lincoln Continental two-door that David gave me. I, I did a drawing for him. He gave me a car. That was the car we were going to shoot off the cliff last year in, in Alaska, actually. So, like, all of us, like, even if we have access to cool cars, it's just more fun, or nice cars, it's more fun to do epic trips in crap cars. Like, in the last calendar year, I've driven, let's see, 9,050. I've probably done 40,000 miles of road trips and complete <laughs> junk box cars. And it's awesome. And even <laughs> not like the Southern classic I did with Eugene this year, his Mustang far from a junk car. He's had this thing since it was new. It's got 345,000 miles on it. On like a 83, 82 Fox body. He's had it since it was new. He's put every single mile on that car. Again, we are, allegedly driving at the speed limit <laughs> from Atlanta, 1,550 miles from Atlanta to Texarkana and back in 12 hours and something <laughs> in a Mustang <laughs> with 345,000 miles on it. And it just goes, you know, like everybody out there, if you think that like your Nissan Armada is three years old and you need to trade it in on a Denali because it's un old, unreliable, I mean, I've gone from like the southernmost point in the United States to the north in, in North America to the northernmost point in North America via 15,000 miles of the most desolate roads on this continent in an 84 Suburban with no spare tire, <laughs> no radio, no heat, no air. I've driven the Route 66 and back in a 80s taxi with the windows down and lifters ticking. I've gone and set times that the bandit himself could not have dreamed of in a 345,000 mile Fox body. Uh, you know, I drive this link, this Lincoln, David bought it for a song. We were going to throw it off a cliff project changed. He gave it to me. I gave him a drawing. I drive this thing around <laughs> all the time. It is an awesome car. But like, like, I mean, my daily drivers, I've got a $200 car, a $400 car and a free car. They all work. They're amazing. Like everybody that thinks you need a nice new car, you don't. You, I've done. You should like, have been I, the spoke spokesperson against cash for clunkers. <laughs> oh my god, cash for clunkers. Well, I mean, cash for clunkers was a travesty. I mean, we lost so many amazing cars. Oh, yeah, Taking my yeah. hat off. I wanna. I'm gonna pour some beer out of my mouth for all my dead homies out there. <laughs> <laughs> all all the great malaise era cars and everything else that got crushed during cash for clunkers. But I mean, again, nice cars are great, but when every mile is a mystery and every hilltop is a triumph, when you look at a map <laughs> and it is 180 miles of gravel road and polar bears and desolation till the next stop, like when you get there and that crap box car, like you were like, yeah, we made it. You know, when we pedaled, junk cars in the lower 48 i don't know five thousand miles north just trying to go a thousand miles back north i mean we did like seven thousand something miles in that road trip and cars literally like we're throwing off a cliff like we got a we got some static online from people who were like you know i can't believe you threw those cars off a cliff you know some single mom or somebody some family yeah. could have used yeah. that car Somebody yeah you wouldn't wish this car. on a single you guys mom. So wasteful. 
I wouldn't have wished those cars on my worst enemy. They were absolute financial liabilities. There is no way any of those cars were ever going to pass an emissions test or any kind of safety test. Like they were going to like get crushed or drive into, driven to Alaska, thrown off a cliff and then crushed. And you know, one of the best comments Ben got, somebody wrote in, they said, you know, starving kids in Africa could have eaten that truck. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, like these, these cars, you know, and and I've, I've kind of, I've kind of gotten my face sort of associated with like doing terrible things to cool cars. Cause on the hot wheels car show, I mean, on the hot wheels ultimate challenge, we certainly cut up some really clean classic cars. And, you know, if, if you are, if you're doing a top chop, you can't have body rust. If you're ripping the interior out, putting something like fancy in there, custom, you can't have mice running around in there. You know, if you got to do a motor swap, you can't be welding, you know, frame rails back together. You got to have a solid car Yeah. just in the context of the show. You got to have a solid car, clean metal, clean interior. I mean, these cars were not like, it wasn't like we cut up a, you know, 59 Cadillac or a 63 split window or something like that. These were cool, but classic, classic cars that were cool, but nothing that rare, but either way, you know, whether it was the, the camper van, you know, the sixties camper van we cut up in the final or that 84 Cadillac, we cut up the skateboard car, whatever car we chopped up, you know, those cars would have like stayed in somebody's barn under a tarp. Maybe they drove them once a year, probably not. They would have changed hands a couple of times or some old guy would have kept it. He would have died. His kids would have inherited it. They'd have been like, man, this thing gets seven miles a gallon. doesn't have Apple CarPlay or heated seats or self-drive or self-park. We don't want it. And it would have just ended up getting sold off somewhere. Or it could get chopped up on a national television show in front of millions of people made into something cool and inspire a whole generation of kids. I mean, there were 30 million people watching this show. Like, Kids seeing us cutting up those cars going, man, someday I'm going to make a custom car. I'm going to let my imagination fuel my dreams. I'm not going to let somebody stop me. I'm going to be unafraid to chop that top or weld those doors or do that motor swap. Like those cars went out as heroes in the car world. And I feel the same way about the cars we threw off the cliff. You know, they were a financial liability. They were never going to be on the road again, roadworthy anyway. And to all the environmentalists watching, you know, we pay a fee to the Alaska people for this car launch and they go down and they scoop up and pick up and rake out every single part of those cars. By the next day, you cannot tell those cars ever landed at that cliff. It is a hundred percent cleaned up and then recycled. And then the money's donated to charity. Like, yeah, I've been a part of killing some classic cars, but man, they went out cool. And you know, they have fueled imagination. They've inspired other kids. Actually, here's a funny story about what a small world it is. So when the cars land off the cliff in Alaska, when the final car has gone and the horn blows, we were not expecting this, by the way, the thousands of fans down there just rush the field and they start just ripping parts off of these cars with their bare hands. I mean, it's like like a gladiator falling and they're tearing apart his armor. I mean, it is, it is kind of scary to watch. It's like, like we had, I think like nine GoPro cameras mounted on the cars we launched last year. We're all up at the top of the cliff. It's like a three mile trek to go down to the bottom. And we're just watching the fans just rushing and grabbing stuff. And they're just ripping seats and steering wheels and parts. And just, I mean, literally with their bare hands. And I'm like, man, we got to get the cameras. Of course we go down there. Every one of the cameras had been picked up. 
every single camera got turned in to the security desk. Oh, wow. Including wow. David Lockhart left his American Express card in the challenge in the charger. It also got turned in. Oh People in Atlanta, we, we did not lose a single piece of equipment. Not a single thing got picked up. Every single fan out there found it, turned it in. We got everything back. People in Alaska are awesome and cool and honest. I've been to Alaska multiple times. I will go back many more times. It is the coolest group of people you ever met. That is but absolutely outstanding. Oh, yeah, they're incredible. So, again, small world. So, last year, we throw the car off a cliff. People just gutting parts, ripping things off, like they're running away with bumpers and dashboards, whatever. <laughs> so, this year, David and Bradley and I are on our way to Prudhoe Bay, which is like the northernmost point in North America up on the Arctic Ocean. And we stop in, oh, crap, I suddenly can't remember the name of the town. Uh, it, it's... Um, Dawson Creek. It's not Cole Mountain. It is. Anyway, we stopped. There's a place in this town called the Signpost Forest. And I'm I'm just blanking out on the town. It's a really charming town. It's a really nice place. It's a place called the Signpost Forest where people have been going for years and years. Like everybody that drives to Alaska has to go through this point. It's not Haynes Junction. Crap. What is the name of this town? Petticoat Junction. Anyway. Watson, Watson Lake. Yes. Watson Lake. Thank you. Thank you very much. We get a Watson Lake. Signpost Forest is there. We're just walking around taking pictures. And there's this family there, a couple actually. And they recognize me from Benwicky and something else. So we get to talking and, and they are now we are like 1500 miles away from Glacier View, Alaska, where the car launch happens. But they are up there on vacation. And the guy is like, yeah, man, you know, he said, uh, you know, we're on our way up here. I said, yeah, I went to Alaska, you know, did this cliff launch thing last year is amazing. He's like, He's like, yeah, we saw you guys there. We saw you on YouTube. We were there. Our son has the the dashboard out of the Jaguar hanging on the wall in his room back in Ohio. <laughs> and all he talks about is like drawing cars and he's going to build cars someday, and make custom cars and like that. I was like, dude, we drove the Jaguar up there. Like, so what a crazy coincidence that a year almost to the day later, 1500 miles away, I run into somebody who was at Glacier View last year. Now they're 1,500 miles away in Watson Lake, Canada, and they've got a part of the car we threw off the cliff, and it is inspiring their kid. Like, you know, these cars we tear up, these cars are ambassadors. Like the car hobby, I mean, we're all like old guys, but like the younger people coming up behind us that are going to do this stuff, like it's these things that we do. It's throwing cars off a cliff or cutting them up into Hot Wheels or, you know, these these Fast and Furious movies. I was talking to uh, Sun Kang, who's, Super nice dude. He plays Han in the Fast and Furious movies. And like I was talking to him about the movies, you know, and, and he was like, Yeah, you know, it was such a cool part to be a part of those. And, and I was like, But man, you know, like your movies inspired like a whole generation of car guys coming behind us. I mean, we all grew up on Dukes of Hazard and Smoking the Band and the yeah. Ball Guy and the A Team and Magnum PI and Knight Rider and all the movie and Cannonball Run and Dirty Larry, Crazy Mary and everything, you know, Vanishing Point, all that. Kids today don't have much of that. They've got Fast and the Furious and like that Need for Speed movie. And that's about it. So like everything we can do to get attention, to Absolutely. excite kids, make people younger, like that's what's going to keep our hobby going. That's what's going to carry the torch. And, you know, and if an 84 Cadillac's got to take a hit for that, or I got to throw an F-150 and a Jaguar off a cliff, <laughs> man, they're taking one for the team. You know, that's, that's what's going to keep all of our, you know, keep us from getting you know, regulated into self-driving cars and some, you know, matrix 
Skynet style of AI takeover <laughs> or whatever, you know, like God. So, yeah. Bless. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be part of it, man. God bless you. So out of all the stuff you've done since the last time we talked, been almost two years, what is the dumbest thing you've done in a car? Oh, and the dumbest thing I've done in a car in the last two years. Yeah. Serious, sir. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to think about this one. Um, I mean, dumbest in like legality or dumbest in like I might die. Any way you want to define yes. it. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Just pick the one that won't get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Is there something? Or in that, the most trouble. S- something that the uh, statute of limitations is run out on or maybe, oh, maybe yeah. there's nobody well, else there to uh, testify. Let's see. Well, there may or may not have been a fuel leak inside the Suburban that required people to be in the back of the Suburban on the highway. You know, usually, David, working on things like driving a gasoline-soaked car with your friend in the back, not buckled up while he's working magic with a fuel pump that only works while the car's driving. Um, Not driving, but we're operating. I mean, that was a bit sketchy. Um. I mean, dumbest, it, it's just such a list. <laughs> yeah, it's such a list, but it's also such a subjective thing. I mean, like being in a, and, and David is a master mechanic, and he knew this truck well, and every time something broke, like he was on it. I mean, I helped, but he had it going. I mean, he, he got that truck going every single time. But, I mean, there were definitely some times when we were probably five hours from a cell phone signal with a broken vehicle that we were literally going to have to like make something for out of other parts on the truck and tools we cut up and wood and Tom, I used a tomahawk to chop a board into a support for a turbo to put a turbo back on a truck after it broke (laughs) off. And there's literally like, there's like bears on the road. Like we got like, (laughs) like, you know, sharpened sticks and stuff in case we got to like defend ourselves against a bear because it's Canada and you can't have our guns up there. Um, that was pretty, that was a dumb, that was just exciting. Um, <laughs> the, like we, we took, we took Shaggy side by side at like 85 miles an hour through the woods in Alaska out to this glacier. And we actually used, we were standing on a piece of float ice, holding a rope with the side by side, trying to drag us closer to shore while we didn't get pulled off the piece of ice into like 27 degree frozen salt water three hours from town that was kind of dumb uh oh actually i got a good one so on the way back the the hall road they call it the dalton highway is a thousand miles up there and back of just absolutely brutal potholes and ruts and there's occasionally pavement and frost heaves where you're seeing like daylight under the wheels and we had like, you know, this is a drag race truck. So we actually did this trip because David is like fearless when it comes to, I'm going to do something the hard way. Uh, there's an event called Alaska speed week. Uh, there's a sticker up here somewhere. It's basically like a series of events around all the different racetracks around Alaska, which there are only a few. And it's put on by a bunch of just super cool people. And, you know, people have, there's like a long distance reward for like who drives the farthest. So like my buddy, Phil Fomsita and Chris Story out of Texas and Oklahoma, they drove a ZR1 Corvette up there to race. Oh, wow. Somebody last year drove from, I think, like Oklahoma City to get up there. David's like, I'm going to start from the farthest possible point 
from Palmer, Alaska, I can be, which is Key West, Florida. And we're going to do it in this Suburban. We've got a U-Haul trailer full of drag radials and ethanol and all the race car parts. I've got some pawpaw tires and snow tires and off-road tires put on there the rest of the time. Who's with me? Bradley and I are like, that sounds like a dumb idea. When do we leave? <laughs> let's go. <laughs> so Let's go. So we take off. So we drag this poor U-Haul from like Atlanta to Key West all the way to Alaska. We actually kind of took a long way around in Alaska. So we've easily got 10,000 miles on this U-Haul trailer. And we meant to have a spare tire for the U-Haul, but we literally just forgot. So we are probably, and I've got some great video of this. We are probably 75 miles from civilization. And on the way back, we've already been all the way up to the Arctic Circle. We got a flat in a suburban. We got that patched in an oil, like one of the oil refinery shops out there. We get 75, 60 miles, 65 miles from civilization. And we blow a tire like off of the U-Haul trailer. And I'm talking about like off, like it's a rapidly deflating. Like it was there and then it was just a rim. Like it just exploded. <laughs> So we're like, okay, what do we do? Well, David's got all of his drag radials and race parts in the trailer. We can't really leave it out here because, A, we don't have anything to lock it with. And, two, like, we can't really afford this stuff to disappear. And also, like, you know, we are out in the middle of nowhere. Again, we're hours from even a cell phone signal, let alone calling roadside assistance, who probably are going to take a month to get out there. We'd already passed a Porsche Cayenne broken down on the side of the road three and a half weeks before that was still there when we came back by. Oh. So, like, I have a feeling that you all is going to be out there a while. So, I was like, well, do you got the damage waiver? He's like, yep. I'm like, we're going to drag it. To whoever designed the U-Haul trailers, by the way, the little single axle ones at least, you know, if I was going to design that trailer, I would have designed it so that at least the metal rim was lower than the suspension of the trailer in the rear corner. (laughs) But it is not. So again, it's getting dark. We are like above the Arctic circle. We got to get to like Fairbanks or somewhere. So we just drug it. And like, by the time we got to Fairbanks, I mean, the trailer's back there just skidding around shower of sparks. There's an active fuel leak on the truck. <laughs> they were like, fortunately they're on opposite sides. So at some point it's going to be like one of those, like Yosemite Sam cartoons where like, like the gunpowder is pouring out of his pants and the flames chasing him around. <laughs> So like I'm, I'm I'm literally like hanging out the window watching for flames so we know whether to like ditch it or just drive faster and to outrun the flames. <laughs> Thankfully, the fuel leak never caught on fire, and and David fixed the fuel leak by the way. Like again, no no aspersions on his mechanical abilities. That was just the reality of the parts we had. So yeah, so dragging a U-Haul many miles with one wheel on it, throwing sparks everywhere with a fuel leak. That was probably pretty dumb. By the time we got it to Fairbanks, we had literally worn through the whole leaf spring till it was just like a knife blade. We'd actually started shaving the corner off of the trailer. Oh, Lordy. Needless to say, they weren't happy, but much like my Vinwicky story about the rental Mustang and some other cars, like always, always get the damage waiver. Always. Yeah. Always. Absolutely. So, so we had to work some magic. David, you know, did his thing. They, they gave us a different U-Haul trailer in Fairbanks and we were, we were happy to get that. And, he, and U-Haul was great about it. They were good sports. I do not ever advocate just damaging somebody else's gear, equipment or car. It was literally just a situation of like, you know, we could leave it. You know, people in Alaska are great. Nobody there would have nicked anything, but 
you know, some other tourist or, uh, you know, it just, it was too risky to leave that much race gear out there. And we didn't know what was going to happen to the trailer. So we decided, okay, we'll drag it. Worst case, we'll put a new wheel on it. We did not really anticipate the suspension damage. So like, you know, hats off to U-Haul. They were good sports <laughs> about it. You know, it's just one of those things. You just got to do what you got to do. Uh, that was crazy. Um, I mean, not even counting all the horrific stuff we did at the cars on Hot Wheels Ultimate Challenge. Um, I may or may not have driven my smuggler truck with no brakes on it whatsoever. Uh, I did it late at night, though, so it worked. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, just some... Uh, I I think you know. the uh, fuel leaking out of the Suburban onto the, uh, onto the U-Haul trailer that's being dragged and sparked out of bare metal i, I, I yeah. think that's good enough for this pass i think that yeah, i do. think you nailed it <laughs> yeah that, that was a good one and again like like all credit to david david is an incredible mechanic he was on the ball like we were not really doing anything dangerous everything was a calculated risk fuel leak was mitigated we were too far in the middle of nowhere like i'll defend it and like that was the smart move at the time even though it was kind of crazy that was a smart move at the time so i do not want to paint my friend as any kind of a risk taker it was just what do you do when you're 75 miles out above the arctic circle and you, your tire falls off you do what you right? gotta do you do, do what you what gotta, you gotta do. do so it was a necessary casualty and again u-haul is a great company we use them a lot they were great sports about it so you know just one of those things so yeah that, that's my answer on that one probably a longer version of that story than you wanted <laughs> we have been speaking with artist car fiend harley rider and consummate raconteur Christopher Michaels. Christopher, please take a minute and tell us where we can find you online and on social media. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, well, you can find me streaming on Peacock on Hot Wheels Ultimate Challenge, along with a bunch of my other talented friends. You can find me at Christopher Michaels Art on Facebook and Instagram and uh, YouTube. And hopefully you will find me doing some cool things partnered up with um, rooftop overland and they are rooftopoverland.com and uh, we'll be doing some cool stuff here in the near future so uh, that's where you can find me and uh, look me up anytime christopher thanks for being with us we appreciate you taking the time uh Man, always, it's a, always pleasure. a pleasure always a pleasure i look forward to seeing you next month not next month two months october yes you will look forward to seeing you at the backyard man yes you will christopher michaels thank you very much you got him friends have a good one for those of you who are listening oh when we get done with the interview, <laughs> we turn off we turn off the recording and we talk to our guest for a little bit. Yeah. And Christopher just told us a story so freaking bad. <laughs> we can't talk about there's, it. Oh damn. There's no way we can repeat it, but damn, that was funny. Jesus Christopher. God. <laughs> wow. Wow. I wish I could retell that. Uh, oh, don't you? <laughs> not a chance, no, man. No, I like him too much. <laughs> not, not a freaking chance. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. Uh, we love what we do. We couldn't do it without the support of our listeners. We wish you we could show you all yeah. the behind-the-scenes stuff. Wow. Uh, probably fry in hell for that one. We can You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show and on LinkedIn as the Driven Radio Show podcast. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us anywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Driven Radio. Mm-hmm.